How was your 2023? What goals did you set? Was it a good year? Are you um, rejoicing today that something big was accomplished or you feel more like my friend? I want to lead us today a little bit differently and uh, please pray for me. I'm a feeble and frail. I'll share more maybe in a minute possibly, but uh, pray for me today to uh, just get through this. Um, but I, I want to lead us today, uh, not preach a sermon so much, but facilitate. So often when we gather and the word is preached, we say, I say, turn to. And we spent a good part of the year saying, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians. And then we spent some time saying, uh, turn to Daniel. And we said in the last few weeks, hey, turn to Luke chapter 1 or Luke chapter 2. But today we're not saying turn to as much as uh, I just want to facilitate some reflection for us. And then I actually have some predictions I don't have a crystal ball, I'm not uh, Nostradamus, but I have some predictions about the kind of year that I think that we're going to face as a people, uh, you personally, and then us collectively, uh, as Americans, as Fondren Church folks, and if you're visiting today, I pray this will be a point of edification uh, for you as well. Um, how was your year? I want to have you look at the screens, and I'm going to put five R words, not just R words, but R-E words, Okay. Uh, some rewords up, and I want to I want to facilitate this in you today. The first reword that I want to put up is is this word, the word rest. Take a breath now. In fact, um, take a breath and rest. Take a deep breath, and just ask God to give you a spirit of rest. Of only about I don't know seven days ago, ten days ago, up on the third floor. Uh, Laura McAlpin was uh, talking to me, but she was talking to me from a distance. And I, I started walking to her, and she said, no, don't get close to me. I've got the crud. And I said the following, and I quote, oh, I'm okay. I don't, I don't ever get sick. And what does the Bible say? The pride comes before the flu. Um, or I'm sorry, the fall, but I don't know what I have. Dr. Jimmy Stewart's going to look at me later. But um, I boasted, and I'm, I'm paying for it. But to be honest, don't get the violins out. Let me just be real, real talk here. Uh, I've worn pretty thin and I'm looking forward to uh, finishing today and seeing how God has provided for our church financially this year as we get those final numbers and I'm looking forward to next week and the new year and starting a new series called Influence and I know preachers say this all the time but I couldn't be more excited about where we're going in this series called Influence uh, but uh, this week I need to really really rest because I haven't these last few weeks. I've borne some unexpected burdens and kind of walked through some stuff and I've got even my own challenges. And so um, when I talk to you today about rest, um, I'm a fellow struggler. Why is it that we don't, um, let me ask it this way, why do we resist rest? One pastor said it's probably because we're a, we're a people that's mostly about achieving and not receiving. And rest is this, yes, it's physical, but it's a spiritual gift that God gives to people that are open to receive from him. I want to ask you today to receive the gift of rest in this last day and to think about being a person of rest. Isaiah chapter 30, if you, I'm not asking you to turn there, but if you were to look later, you would see, if you have a study Bible, it would say at the top, um, woe to an, a woe to an obstinate people. Makes you want to read that, right? A woe, woe are you, obstinate people. And he says in Isaiah 30 that uh, in, in rest and repentance is our salvation. In quietness and trust is our strength. One more time. In rest and repentance is our salvation. In quietness and trust is our strength. You ready for the next part of that verse? 
but you would have none of it. We, as humans, often are bound to resist. We are an obstinate people. We're not the nation of Judah at, the at that time that Isaiah 30 was written, but we have our own mechanisms, uh, our own defense mechanisms, our own modes of thinking and living where we ourselves resist rest. But it's in rest and repentance is our salvation. It's in quietness and, uh, and trust is our strength. God gives people from the very foundation. Austin and Lauren talked about a tithe that's controversial among churches today, but God gives this fundamental concrete practice of our money uh, called the tithe. Uh, in, from the beginning, from the foundation of it all, he gives another thing called Sabbath, a Sabbath rest. And I, I know we interpret things differently because of Jesus, and that is, it, it's, there's the mature way uh, to look at that. But Sabbath rest is still important in God's eyes, that we would take a day that we would rest, that we would be a people of rest. And God wanted, if you notice rest in the Old Testament from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, God is saying to his people, be rested because when you're rested, you'll remember that I brought you out of slavery in Egypt. When you're a people of rest, you'll remember that I've done something for you. You'll remember, you'll remember that you're a people who's been delivered. When we gather in worship all of this past year, looking forward to next year, 2024, we don't come saying we're perfect people, do we? We don't elevate a, a personality or figure. Lauren and I uh, have the stage a lot, and we don't look down on people we ought not to and say, hey, we've got this thing together, and I don't think you come with that spirit, right? We all come, I hope, with the spirit of we need to be rescued. We have sin, and we need a deliverer. And when we're a people of rest, we're saying God has saved us. God has delivered us. In Deuteronomy 5, 15, there's this passage where it says, God's um, his strong hand and his outreach arm has delivered us. So we take rest in that. When you, it's same truth today, when you are a, a restful people, when we are experiencing spiritual rest and therefore physical rest, what is that saying? It, it, we're a testimony to a watching world. When you're hurried, when you're frantic, uh, you're not a good testimony. I've told our staff before, there's been seasons where I've scolded them in Jesus' name. And I've said, you're weary and you're run down and you're not a good commercial for our church. And now I'm preaching those same words to myself. In my office a few weeks ago, at the beginning of December, I said, there's two words for us for December, giving and rest, giving and rest. We're calling our people to generosity and we want to rest. Uh, then in January, we're talking about groups and restarting. And so what I'm hoping is that as a staff team, we're getting extra time with our family that we're uh, taking naps and sleeping well and doing things that don't drain us so much, but things that delight us, that give us life. Because um, I'm going to work them to the bone when they get back in January. But for real, we need to be a people of rest. When you're restful, you're showing people that God has a strong hand and an outreached arm and that he's been good in your life. So this word rest, I want you to think about it. And would you ask God to give it to you? What did we say from Isaiah 30 verse 15? In rest and repentance is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Here's the second word I want to, the second RE word that I want to give you. It's review. It's review. We'll post these later so um, you don't necessarily have to take notes. But let me give you some questions that Susan and I have used the last few years in our lives of marriage and ministry that's been helpful to us. It's gotten us on the same page. And uh, we've experienced emotion over these questions. There's been tender, tender time for us. 
and I want to share these with you, single or married. When you review your year, I want you to think, what significant thing has happened? What significant thing or things have happened? Secondly, where did you discover gifts of joy? Third, where did you experience grief? A young man texted me yesterday, said, I don't want to bother the preacher this time of year, but you know, I lost my dad 14 months ago. I'm about to lose my mom. She's on a ventilator, and I don't know. I just, what do I do with this? What do I do with this loss? What do I do with this pain? In what ways have you grieved this year? I have a counselor friend in the room, and I know he would probably want me to add to this, that have you properly grieved? And we want to help you properly grieve. So what significant thing has happened in your life this year? Where did you discover gifts of joy? Where did you experience grief? And this is really important. Where or how did you give and receive love? Where or how did you give and receive love? Wonderful questions for you to review your year. I wonder now what thoughts have popped in your mind in review about significant events, about gifts of joy, about areas where you grieved, about where and how you've given and received love. What's popped into your mind? Use these later later today. Again, we'll post them up. The third RE word I want to give you beyond rest and review is, is rejoice. I included this earlier, but what? Uh, notice the phrase of this. What seemingly small things are you grateful for? What seemingly small things are you grateful for? The, truliest, the Truly the happiest people I know see that the small things are the big things. And get great joy in, in those small things. I want to say to you, don't get bored with the basics. Don't get bored with the basics. Your heart has turned calloused and cold if you're bored with the basics. What seemingly small things have been gifts of joy? Rejoice in that. I want to give you a green light to rejoice. Here's the thing about joy. Nehemiah 8.10, one of my life passages. If y'all been around Fondren uh, or, you know, from the early days, you know I bring, this, I, I bring Nehemiah 8.10 out of my hip pocket a lot. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Without joy, it's not optional. Without joy, doesn't mean you're not grieving, doesn't mean you haven't gone through hard stuff, but without joy, you won't get through. When I'm experiencing a lack of joy, temptation looks really good to me. When I'm not experiencing deep and abiding joy, I'm more prone to sin. Uh, I'm less likely to, be, uh, to worship in spirit and in truth. So the, la the fourth uh, RE word that I want to give you beyond rest, review, and rejoice is uh, repent. Don't let the word intimidate you. 2 Corinthians 7.10, Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he says that there's a, this godly kind of sorrow. And there's a worldly sorrow. And the worldly sorrow, this is the Robert Greene version of the Bible, but the worldly sorrow, he says, you just feel bad for a little bit and then you go about it. Nothing really changes. And some of you know this, I'm not trying to be funny because it ain't funny. But some of you know somebody has broken trust with you and they, they had like worldly sorrow and they felt bad only because they were caught and they felt bad but nothing changed. And there's a worldly sorrow. Can I say follower of Jesus? We ought to reject that kind of sorrow. But there's a godly kind of sorrow. 2 Corinthians seven ten. A godly sorrow, you feel bad but then you make changes. And so my question is this. Ask for forgiveness for the ways that you did not cooperate with God this year. When you didn't join him, when he called you to be generous and you weren't, when he asked you to forgive and you didn't, when he told you to be present but you were distracted, 
when you winked at sin and thought it was a joke and then rushed headlong? Would you do what's fundamental to the human experience? Would you repent? Would you ask for forgiveness? And my prayer is that it wouldn't be a cavalier, flippant thing, but it would be a sorrowful thing, a godly sorrowful thing, that you would feel that. And, and can I just take the moment right now to say at the end of the year, maybe you need to make that phone call, maybe you need to initiate that relationship because your forgiveness, there's collateral damage, and it's hurt somebody else. And so, yeah, you want to do the vertical thing, you want to receive the forgiveness that God gives, and you want to appropriate that in your life so you don't have to carry any shame, but you need to have that conversation. So this morning, I'm asking you to think about rest, about review, about rejoice, about repent. And then the last RE word is request. Ask God for the grace to grow. Ask him for the grace to grow. Daniel said it a moment ago uh, before we took up offering. I pray that we would be different today. I pray that we would leave changed. Don't you want to see God move in your life? Don't you want to see him bring about change? Ask him to help you grow. I want to share in the balance of our time uh, two words with you that are both biblical words and very um, human words as well. The first word is obstacle. This is when I get not, I move from the reflection part to the prediction part. Uh, I want to give you, I want to talk briefly about the word obstacles and then I want to talk about opportunities because every life is going to face obstacles this coming year and every life is going to have opportunities this coming year. And when it comes to your obstacles, I want you to think rightly about them. I want you to see things through the prism, through the lens of how God wants you to see these obstacles in your life, which is very countercultural. But then I don't want you to miss opportunities that God might have for you. So here's the first obstacle that I believe we're going to experience in 2024. The first obstacle I believe we're going to experience is division. Have you heard that we're going to enter into, once again, an election year? Have you heard that? So question, how did you act in 2020? How did you act? Did you add to unity and love? Or did you bite and devour other people? Jesus prayed this prayer. We'll get to it in a minute. But in John 17, I pray for those who are not just with me here. I pray for those who would believe on me through their word. That's you and me. If you read John 17, he prayed for us. And he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, and he knows and he knows you. He prayed for us that we would be unified, that we would be one. And I know, I know, I know there's a host of stuff. And every time I talk about unity, somebody thinks I'm asking our church to just show compassion and not to live in conviction. Both are true. I want you to stand up for truth. I shared here in the last election year, I did a three-week sermon. Anybody remember? Nod your head and make me feel good. I did a three-week sermon called How to Talk About Politics Without Being Obnoxious. And some of y'all were obnoxious to me after the sermon series because you said, hey, you didn't endorse a particular candidate. But I did have the courage to say from here that if Joe Biden is elected, I fear this. If Donald Trump is reelected, I fear this. And some of those things have played out to be true. Some of those things have really played out to be true. But how do we, how do you talk about things in a deeply divided land where you're not obnoxious? Because if you don't know, people don't want to follow obnoxious people. Ever know that? You ever realize that? You, people don't want to, you know what people want to, people want to follow humble people. 
And people want to follow people who listen. And so with my crystal ball, I'm telling you, this coming year is replete. One of the obstacles we're going to face is division. What part will you play in that? Be ready. The second obstacle is distraction. Distraction. A couple of weeks ago, Alex Faust, who's with his family at Disney World right now, he hit me up in the DMs and he said, I thought you would find this video uh, interesting. Brett, if we could play this now. and I, I just want to show you something. This is the psychological power of the device. What if I was sitting here talking to you, holding my phone? It's not buzzing. It's not beeping. No one's calling me. I'm just holding it. Do you feel like you are the most important thing to me right now? No, you don't. That's the association. So when we show up for a meeting or we sit down for dinner with our families and we put the phone on the table, it sends a psychological message to everyone sitting there that you are not the most important thing to me right now. And putting the phone upside down is not more polite. Put it in airplane mode to take away the temptation that something's coming in and put it in a bag or on a shelf out of sight. And this is how we should be interacting with people, giving them our full attention. Because the idea is not that we hear the words they say, but that they feel heard. And this is one of the tricks. If you wake up in the morning and you check your phone before you say good morning to the person sitting next to you, you probably have a problem. If you have to take your phone from room to room, no matter where you go, you probably have a problem. And just like any recreational drug, the more you practice leaving it away, for example, if you go out for dinner, you don't need four telephones. Leave one at home, leave one in the car. You have one with your spouse, it's fine. If you have a client meeting, leave it in the car, leave it in the bag, never take it out. And it becomes easier and easier. And you find it easier not to be sucked in by the, by the, the fear mongering as well. So like any addiction, it just takes a little work. Man, y'all... Let's do this. Let's think about this. Um, we're going to talk about this when it comes to the series Influence, and I'm going to talk specifically to fathers in one of these weeks. But um, dads who are emotionally connected to their kids, look out. Those kids, man, the world is theirs. If, if a father who's emotionally connected to their children. You're talking about pointing someone in the right direction and giving them mothers too. I know mothers too. I know I'm going to get an email. But there's just something about dads and those phones and something, mothers too. But boy, an opportunity for us. And I'm, I'm thinking a lot. I mean, I don't have everything grounded yet, but I'm going to rest a lot this week and make 2024 goals. But I'm thinking about a lot of, uh, when I'm the leader of a meeting, a lot of phone-free zones as best as possible. Uh, some of the meetings I'm in, I don't lead them, and so there's, you know, it's peers and all that. But, man, we need to put these things away. Susan and I went to Amerigo's um, a couple nights ago, um, the night after they opened. I never go to a restaurant the day they open, but sometimes I go the next day. But uh, we, we were at, out with friends, and John left his phone at home, and I left my phone at home. And we were so proud of ourselves. Guess what? We survived. Guess what? Yeah, we probably had a few. I don't know about John. Well, I had a few messages. Everything worked out. It was okay, and I was more fully present. Look at me. Let's do this. Let's do better. It's not a small thing. So what obstacles do we face? Division is one. Distraction is another. Um, let me show you a, something that was tweeted out um, from the Washington Post. A new Washington Post editorial. All schools should go phone free. Sites, um, you can see this. Stunning 
you know, stats, 97% of teens say they use their phones during school hours. This can't be good and this can't be healthy. Uh, maybe our sanctuary needs to be phone-free. Uh, maybe your meetings and your time at dinner, the dinner table needs to be phone-free. I, I think I have research, if you challenge me, fact-check me on this, but there's some schools have, who have gone phone-free and uh, they're doing better. Their students are doing better. So not only are we going to have a year of distractions, um, a year of division, but I think we're going to have a year of disconnection. I recommended um, a Friday I did my top 10 books that I've read in 2023. Josh Carver sent me a message and said, okay, Oprah. He mocked me, and so I thought I would embarrass him for doing that during the sermon. So that was really mean. So I'm not Oprah. If I was, I'd give all of you a car. But one of the books I recommended... It's called Project Unlonely. It's not a, not a Christian book, not a religious book, but I love the title. And it cites time and time again how this isn't getting better. Remember the Beatles song, Look at All the Lonely People? We're only, we've only gotten more lonely. And I think as we peer into a new year, the trend is more isolation. More isolation. And so, you know, as I read Project Unlonely, I thought, it's kind of cool. I'm a pastor and lead a church. And some of you, most of you, many of you are part of the church. But we've been given a project unlonely. We've been given. Jesus had a plan to change the world. Do you know what the plan is? I preach this from time to time. The plan is the be with plan. Be with me and be with each other. I want to challenge you to let's strengthen that. Because one of the obstacles we're going to face beyond division, beyond distraction, is disconnection. And for us to say, hey, let's lock arms, and I'll, I'll share more about this as we close. Here's the fourth obstacle that I believe we're going to face beyond division, distraction, and disconnection. It's the dollar squeeze. You know this. You may want to make a loud noise, a groan uh, when I say this. Things are expensive and budgets are tight. We as a church took some risk this year. In looking back, should we have taken them? I'm going to say yes because I was a leader in those decisions. But we took a lot of risk, and it looks like we're going to have our best year of giving ever. But we had to tighten our budget. We had to call the staff together, and I, I started with this. Hey, everybody's going to get a paycheck Friday, but we all have to stop our spending. We did a budget freeze to make sure we could end the year well and be ready for the future that God has for us. Are we the only ones that have experienced this? I've been with a group of pastors twice this fall. Uh, it's a cohort of friends that I love and admire, and everybody's saying the same thing, so I sort of I stole this, this, this obstacle. But there's a dollar squeeze that uh, we're experiencing. This dollar squeeze could uh, parlay itself into this next year. Have you heard the phrase in business? Anybody heard this, survive till 25? Some business people, authors on my shelf, they're actually saying, I've read their media post recently, they're actually saying that, 2024 might not be the year to take big, bold risk. Maybe the risks that we take are the basic stuff of executing the essential stuff and not taking big risks. I'm not sure how this is going to play out. Uh, I sat down with the board of president of a ministry that we support, and he told me two days ago that they just received a gift of $500,000. Uh, isn't that cool? Man, I'm so jealous. I hate them. Uh, <laughs> If anybody's got 500K, see me down front today. Uh, I'm feeling better already, actually. Uh, if you want to help me overcome this sickness, you could give $500,000. Uh, 
Listen, if you can do that or anything like that, we are here for you. (laughs) But likely, we might have to do more with less. So we need to be ready. So from obstacles, I want to move. We have a few minutes left. I want to talk about opportunities. Here's what I believe, and each of these kind of correspond with the obstacles. I believe we have a chance for conversational space, an opportunity for conversational space. When I talked about divisions, I want to ask you, Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Uh, When you see someone that you disagree with, do you go after them? Are you so quick to tell them how wrong they are? Or do you listen? A gentle answer turns away wrath. Can I tell you, I've been married for 27 years because Susan knows a gentle answer turns away wrath. I've tried to lure her into so many fights with me that I know I would win. And she gives this gentle answer. And you know what it does? It turns away my wrath. Y'all probably having really low opinions of me as you leave here today. But uh, do you do this? And are you willing to do this? We have an opportunity to offer gentle answers. Our strength as a church, your strength as a person could be in your gentleness this year. We could create conversational space where we are more gentle with one another. Um, It says in James 1, I bet you know this, be slow to anger, be quick to listen. Um, Be slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen. Do you do that well? We have an opportunity to live out James 1.19, slow to anger, slow to speak, quick to listen. And what an opportunity we have amidst the divisiveness of this coming election year. The second opportunity beyond conversational space is creating connections. This taps into a distracted people and to a disconnected people. What if we were the people, Fondren Church people, especially leaders here at FC, where we were the people who put away our phones, squared up our shoulders and looked people in the eyes and listened to them and made them feel like they were the most important person in the room? What if we didn't have an angle or an agenda or an ego at every, every time we faced up with somebody? We have an opportunity to create connections, both at the micro gatherings. Lauren and I think about that a lot. Uh, I don't know if it shows, but we show up most Sundays prepared and ready for God uh, to work. But there's also not just the mi- macro gatherings, there's the micro connections, which in 2024 could be all the more important. The third thing I want to talk about is an opportunity. It's not just like the conversational space and creating deeper connections, but it's re-examining what makes the good news good. You know, we have never had a December. We haven't been up here in some way and said Luke chapter 2, good news of great joy for all people. Good news of great joy for all people. If you're not careful, you'll get conformed to this world. Even Christian writers on a social media will twist you into thinking that this good news is not good. Listen, it is good news. I mean, this is good news. Your sins are forgiven. Everybody's invited in. Nobody has it all figured out. This is freeing, and this is good news. You hear me preach it often. These aren't my words. The good news is so good that it frees you. You have nothing to prove, nothing to fear, and nothing to hide. That's how good news, that's how good, the, and it's for everybody. And let's re-examine how good this good news is and let's experience it for ourselves i I believe another opportunity for us will be and i'm going to start it um tomorrow is uh, to go on a social media diet or fast surveys after surveys have showed and some of you don't need a survey you can just stand up and say woe is me but the people who had too much screen time who were too glued to their social media experienced the most the most pain The more time, I mean, it's this direct, the more time you spend doing this, the more pain you experience 
in your life. I know there's opportunities for meaningful connection, and I try to use it in that way. But we have an opportunity uh, as leaders to show our people. I have three grown kids, and one of them I'm so proud of has spent a lot less time on social media. I think he's doing better in life. He just seems a whole lot happier uh, these days. Uh, I want that for myself. He's been an example to me. I want to be an example for you. So obstacles. I want us to think biblically about obstacles before we close. In John chapter 15, in the middle of this farewell discourse, Jesus is preparing his disciples for obstacles, for hardship. And he says this in John 14, 1. You've heard me quote it at a funeral or you, somebody has read it. John 14, 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus, come on. Really? I mean, it's not like I want to have a troubled heart. Can anybody testify? It's not like I want to struggle to get sleep tonight. It's not like I want to ulcerate in my stomach. It's not like I, you know, want to you know, have this weight, this load on me, really do not let your heart be troubled, but look at all the trouble. And if you let this play out in John 14 and John 15 and John 16 and John 17, if you read that stretch of scripture, you'll see this incredible beauty that every follower of Jesus needs uh, more in their life. You see, here's the thing. As he gets into John 15, when it comes to our obstacles, our hardship, we make it about circumstances. Jesus makes it about connection. We make it about circumstances. Lord, get me out of this. But Jesus makes it about connection. If you're connected to him, if you're the branch and you realize he's the vine, if you're rooted in him, if you allow him to prune you, if you see obstacles and hardship as an opportunity to grow, then you're less enslaved by your circumstances. Do you want to stay enslaved to your circumstances? Do you want to live the way you're living now, some of you, where it's like, if this turns well, if 2024 starts off good, if this alters, then, then I'll be happy. And Jesus is saying, don't let your heart be troubled, not because it's about your circumstance, but it's about your connection. Be connected to him. Whatever obstacle we're going to face as a church, we're going to face as a nation with division and distraction and disconnection and the dollar squeeze, whatever's coming our way, we're going to do better, not making it about our circumstances, not worshiping the God of our circumstances, but being connected to the God of the universe. And so make it about connection. Uh, a couple years back, I don't know if anybody uh, knows this story, there was in China uh, this water park and this massive wave that overtook people of, out of nowhere. You have these unsuspecting um, water park guests who were just wanting to relax and enjoy their afternoon. And a wave, a rogue wave, overtakes them, a tsunami-type wave in this uh, controlled, contrived water park. It overtakes them, and four, no one lost their lives, but 44 people were badly injured. Most were badly injured with many, many broken bones. And the water park, the day of, they released a statement saying, this appears to be an equipment failure. And then they learned later that they had a drunken employee who just thought he would push the dial to maximum capacity. And he pushed like the tsunami button, or pulled the lever on the tsunami, and this wave that should never have been turned on when people were there, it just crashed into them. And people got hurt. I feel like as we talk about obstacles and opportunities, particularly with obstacles, that I feel like in our world today, someone has turned on the wave machine to its highest level. That waves are coming and they're bigger waves and they're, they're more frequent waves and people are getting hurt. 
And I don't want, my pastor's heart for you and me is for us not to be hurt. And by the way, if you read John 14 to 17, Jesus is telling us, don't, you know, life is not played out in a water park. You're not here to just enjoy life, a life of ease. You, you and I are not to be unsuspecting people when it comes to the obstacles that are, that are going to come our way. Jesus said in John 14, 6, in this world, you're going to have trouble. So right after he says, five verses later, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. In this world, you're going to have trouble. You want to reconcile that? Don't be troubled. You're going to have trouble. Don't be troubled. But you can see in those two uh, great uh, teachings that there is trouble in the world, but your heart doesn't have to be troubled. Are you with me? So you and I could fake, like, I want that. If, if that's possible... If God is real and true and we can count on his word and I can make this, I can appropriate this as a, like, I want that. Because I do want to alter some circumstances. As a leader, there's some outcomes that I I can control. Most I can't. But there are some outcomes that I can't control. There's some buttons that I can push. But you and I are living in a world, I believe, as I uh, lead us through reflection and make predictions, I think the waves are coming more frequently. I think the waves are going to be bigger. And I think we have to be careful of how we view obstacles. But Jesus is saying, do not let your heart be troubled, but in this world you're going to have trouble. And here's the thing, as I looked yet again at this word trouble that Jesus uses in John 14, he could have used other words. He could have said, in this world you're going to have frustrations. In this world you're going to have annoyances. He uses neither. He says, in this world you're going to have trouble. And here's what I wrote down as I did a word study. This word trouble connotes severity. Um, it connotes uh, deep anguish. Intense struggle and overwhelming pain. So can we say in this world, you are going to have deep anguish, intense struggle, and overcoming anguish. And here's why Jesus said all this. As we think about obstacles, globally and personally, think about what Jesus said to everyone who's willing to follow him. In John 16, 1, I told you all of this so that you will not fall away. I told you all of this so that you will not fall away. Last year when I shared about what grieved me, it was a few people who've fallen away. I don't want you to fall away. I say this often, you've heard it a lot from me lately, I want your starting faith to be your staying faith. And that's not the case. And some of you are like freaking out, so-and-so deconstructed, so-and-so deconstructed. Man, read the book. Tons of people deconstruct. Tons of people fall away. Don't be one of them. So be aware. Don't be the unsuspecting guest at the water park when a wave comes. Be the person who Jesus squared up and told you you're going to have deep anguish, overwhelming pain, and intense suffering in this world. And nobody is exempt. So in John 16, talking about obstacles, Jesus says, trouble's coming. And in John 17, guess what? The trouble arrives. That's just like Jesus to be right. I'm not right a lot. Some of you are not right very often. Jesus is right every time. How's that, how's that for a closing thought in 2023? Jesus is right every time. And Jesus in John 16 says, trouble's coming. And then Jesus in John 17, they, they see that trouble arrives. And Jesus prays in John 17, 15 to 17, I pray that you don't take them out of this world. Well, there's trouble. Take them out of that trouble. Lord, take me out of the trouble. 
we got trouble, come, take me out. Like, like we should sing that, let's sing that song every Sunday. Take me out of the trouble. Jesus says, no, I'm not praying that, take him out of trouble. You know what he prayed? Anybody know? I pray for their protection against the evil one, and I pray for their sanctification. I pray that you'll be protected, and I pray that you'll be sancti- uh, your sanctification. What I wrote when I was feeling really bad yesterday is that sanctification is the removal of the corrupt parts of you and me. It's the removal of the corrupt parts of you and me. It's the addition of Christ-like character. That's what sanctification, sanctify them in your word, your word is truth. It's not the opinions of man. It's not your screen time. It's spending time in his word and taking him up on it. Your word is truth and we'll be sanctified. The removal of the corrupt parts, which by the way, hurts. The addition of Christ-like character, boy, there's great joy in that. But um, Christ is, uh, he's a misfit. He's a dissident. He doesn't go along with the world. He doesn't swim like a, or float like a dead fish downstream with everybody else. And so, as we think about these um, obstacles that we may face, I want to share with you just something I read, harken back on. I read a book years ago called The Me I Want to Be by John Ortberg. And in this book, he's quoting from somebody else uh, whose name I can't pronounce. But he's saying in this book, um, if you had the script of one of your children's lives, and you had five minutes and an eraser, what would you do? So that you, let's say you have a daughter, and here's, here's the script. This is her life. It'd be more pages than this. So it's a challenge. You have, you have five minutes and an eraser, and whatever you erase is out of her life. So there's the script. What would you erase? Would you erase, and what would you erase? If in elementary school she's discovered to have a learning disability, would you erase that? If in middle school she's really good at basketball and wants to make the team, but she doesn't make the team and you, you know, had to transfer her to another school to try to make that, would you erase that? If she's dating a guy who picks her up on a motorcycle that says down with virgins on his t-shirt, uh, a total loser guy, would you erase that? Dads, can I get an amen? Yeah, we would, we would erase that. It wouldn't take five minutes to erase that part, right? Would you erase, if a guy breaks her heart and leaves her uh, battling depression and all the things that happen with a teenage girl when they're battling depression, Would you erase that part? What would you protect them from? And here's what's interesting. Jesus says to protect them from the evil one, but he leaves us in the world. And it's in the context of pruning. You see, sometimes the things we think are protecting each other are actually not about what needs to be removed from our lives. And so, just like it's not about the circumstances, it's about connection. It's not about us protecting ourselves from every obstacle and every hardship because it's only in some of those things happening to us do the corrupt parts of our heart get driven out and do the Christ-like character get formed in us. What obstacles and what opportunities? Let me say this real quick in closing. Lauren, come on up. I would say Lauren and the team, but there ain't no team. So, um, Lauren, come on up. When it comes to opportunities, the scripture uses this word. I did a little word, a little study this week. And opportunities, the word opportunities used in Ephesians 5, the days are evil, make the most of every opportunity. It's used in uh, Galatians 6, be good to everybody. Uh, look for every opportunity to be good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. And then Colossians 4, 2, it says, let your speech be uh, with grace, seasoned with salt. In other words, when you talk to people, they're actually going to want to hear more from you by the way you talk and the graciousness that's in your speech. That's an opportunity for us to to win outsiders by the way that we talk. 
And in Galatians 5, stand so you know I'm about, about to quit. I want to ask you this year to look for opportunities. I'm going to sound like a church man right now. And by the way, I was talking to a preacher. He said, maybe the best compliment you could have is that you're a good church person. Galatians 6, you have an opportunity to serve other people. Galatians 5, 13. The freedom you have, don't indulge your flesh, but use the freedom that you have as an opportunity to serve one another. And he tells us how. Serve one another humbly in love. Wouldn't we even be a better people if we did that? Here, I wrote down six ways real quick, real fast. Remember, I'm sick and wasn't well prepared. Far better to arrive as a worshiper than as a critic. Better to seek out and enjoy whatever good you can find than to identify and nitpick every weakness. What if you came to church less as a critic and more as a worshiper? What if you came and you were seeking out to enjoy what good you can find and not identify nitpick, nitpick every weakness? Few people, second thing, few people want to be a part of a church that doesn't pray, but few people want to attend a prayer meeting. Just ponder that conundrum. When I say a few people want to be involved in the church, if we're not praying, God ain't working. And you don't want to be a part of somewhere God ain't working. You are a contributor to your church's strengths and weaknesses. Your gifts make your church stronger. Your sins make it weaker. An unheralded opportunity is the ministry of arriving early. Do you know that, you know who arrives early at Fonder Church, 9, 30, 11? Guest. What if some of you arrived a little bit early and engaged with them? Another unheralded opportunity is to sit down front in the middle and worship and sing out loud. Lastly, and I score points in my marriage, the one ministry that always needs more people is children's. Get your name on that list to serve it. Let's look for opportunities to be good to everybody, especially to those of the household of faith, especially to those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's do church at another level this year. Um, can you give me another minute? Texas coach Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, Austin, you can't wear Ole Miss stuff on the stage, by the way. Uh, and I, I shouldn't use too many football illustrations. Um, but Texas coach Steve Sarkeesian, who's had a lot of obstacles in his life, he's brought on a lot of obstacles. He's Armenian. My wife's Armenian. Here's what he told his team. You know, they're playing for it all, and I don't think they're going to win it. But anyway, he says, we needed to get better. We needed to get more connected. We needed to get more vulnerable. We needed to get honest with one another. So we played more for one another than for ourselves. Let me drop that. Let me leave that with you today. You have an opportunity. All those things, we can get better. We can be more honest with one another. We can be more vulnerable with one another. We can be more connected. In the midst of division and distraction and disconnection and potentially the dollar squeeze, um, let's look for opportunities God has for us into this new year. Let's sing and uh, the altar's open. And so um, I might need some help here, but um, um, I don't need to get too close to anybody. Let's just say it like that. But uh, can you come today if uh, um, we can pray for you. And I'll uh, have a couple people up here who can pray for us. We, we didn't have a plan today. But um, Daniel, you in the house. we got a couple of staff people. Everybody's at Disney World or somewhere. But um, uh, we have a couple of staff members come down front to pray. The altar is open. And let's give God these uh, few minutes before we go.